Um, well, why don't we get started? I know we've got a lot of material to cover and uh, plenty of time for um, everyone's engagement and questions. So first and foremost, welcome um, to another product chat. This is a Pragmatic Institute's webinar and podcast series where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. Uh, my name is Lalita Panacanti and I'll be your host for today. So first I wanna just cover a few logistics. Um, reminder, if you can, to turn your camera on. We typically get better engagement uh, when the guest and our speaker, Paul, can interact with the community. Um, this uh, spe specific talk will also be using Menti a couple of times and uh, Sarah has posted the link in the chat uh, with a specific code. So if you want to get ready to go, uh, I think there's two opportunities for Menti. She just posted it again. Uh, so we'll be using Menti a couple of times for feedback um, and uh, that will be one engagement. Uh, we will try to keep it as, conversation as uh, uh, conversational as possible. And so we also encourage you to submit your own questions during the chat along the way. Sarah and I uh, will be moderating and monitoring these and we'll try to get to as many as possible. We also have some time at the end of Paul's session uh, to wrap up any that we weren't able to address. So let's make this as engaging as possible um, and, uh, and really challenge Paul um, on this topic. Uh, if you can flip to the next slide, I think the pack slide. There we go. Awesome. So quick plug for the Pragmatic Alumni community. Um, if you haven't already joined, this is a great place where members have exclusive online, this is an exclusive online community um, where you'll literally find everything uh, from a curated library of uh, content, uh, very near and dear to the product management heart, um, as well as peer discussions and access to exclusive member events. Um, all of this is so that you can spend time, less time really searching for these answers and coming right to one spot and implementing the solutions. I'm a founding member uh, as, men, as, as well as uh, you know, many, many hundreds others that are in there and we've all found tremendous value so far. So if you haven't already joined, you can find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com slash community. <clears throat> Advanced to the, I think Paul's got control, so I get to give him orders today. Um, <laughs> so uh, today, together with Pragmatic Institute and Product Development Days, Rebecca Calgaris and I are pleased to bring you this executive series webinar. We're currently both serving as board members uh, for the PDD virtual event, which is coming up in exactly two weeks, October 27th through 30th. Um, we hope uh, you enjoy today's talk and register for the event to hear Paul and speakers like Paul and many others. You can find more about that event on Product Development Days. Actually, it's .org, so I wanted to just clarify that. It's productdevelopmentdays.org. Um, and for all the webinar attendees today, there's actually a special promo code that I've been given to share with you. You can just type in the code pragmatic um, and you can get an additional 35% discount off some of the passes that are really already heavily discounted. So I'll recap that at the end as well, but I just wanted to share that information. So let's, uh, let's get down to business. I think without further ado, I'd like to introduce you formally to Paul Young. Um, he's an executive leader in product management and marketing, and he's also a Pragmatic Institute uh, instructor as well. Paul has uh, decades of experience um, in hardware, software, services, product management, and marketing. And during his career, he's launched and managed a dozen, more than a dozen of products. He started his own business. Um, and he successfully implemented the pragmatic framework at several, at several companies. 
He, um, his experience really ranges from large companies to startups, um, you know, wide, wide selection of technologies that I'm sure that we're based on where you're coming from, he can relate. Um, and business models. And he's really passionate about what he does in terms of building market-driven teams um, and his ability to teach, coach, and implement. I'm proud to call him a friend over the course of my product journey. Um, and without further ado, thank you for joining us today, Paul, for doing this exec webinar series. I will turn it over to you. They're here to hear you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Thank you, Lolita. And uh, always proud to call you a friend as well. And I will say there is no faster way for you to make somebody feel old than for you to say they have decades of experience in products. So thank you for that. Uh, appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> so early on in my product career, when I was a product executive, apparently decades ago, um, I worked at a uh, large computer manufacturer in the Austin area. All right. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. And my team had, you know, a hot new product. It was a, it was a software product, a SaaS product. And this was this company's first foray into software. Up until that point, everything had been about, you know, servers and laptops and everything else. And now we had this, like, the hot newness, right? The cool, hot new product. And uh, it was a really natural add-on to the hardware they were already selling. And so we did what, you know, you would normally do as a product team. We did the roadshow with sales. And we, we did the lunch and learn where you sit down, you feed them pizza and spaghetti, and you teach them about the product. And it's, like, so strategic, and it fits right into the sales you're already making. It's perfect. And one of my product managers was up there leading the sales team through one of these conversations. It was the New York era, or the, the New York um, area sales team. And I will always remember that day because at the end of that conversation, the director of that New York sales team stood up and said, uh, Paul and, and product managers, uh, we really appreciate your presentation here. We love this software. Uh, we can see how this is highly strategic and it really is gonna carry the business forward. And we're never going to sell it. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Something's not adding up here. There was clearly a disconnect. He said, let me explain it to you. If we nail our hardware quota and we don't sell a lick of software, nobody cares. But if we miss our hardware quota and we blow away our software quota, everyone on this team gets fired. And so it was pretty clear that there was a big disconnect <clears throat> between how the product team and the business were thinking and how the sales team were thinking. And you know, I, I see a couple of you nodding or smiling as we go through that, that little anecdote. I'm sure maybe some of you have been there uh, as well. If you're like me, you built your career in, uh, in product management, product marketing. You know, as Alita said, <clears throat> you know, I, I've certainly spent some time there uh, at some really big companies like Cisco and Dell and a bunch of startups here in the Austin area where I've lived. Um, and, and all throughout my career in product, sales, especially in the beginning of my career, was kind of frustrating to me. Uh, it, it almost seemed like how they acted, how they talked, what they seemed to care about wasn't the things that my team cared about. Uh, it, it was almost like product is from Mars and sales is from Venus, kind of felt that way. Um, and it was like, how do we get everybody on the same page, moving in the same direction? And, and if that resonates with you, then maybe you and I are very alike uh, in our backgrounds, uh, except for perhaps one key difference. And that is, I've actually lived in sales. A uh, couple of years ago, actually, here at Pragmatic, the organization was going through a, a, a big degree of change at that point, and uh, they asked me to step into a sales role. And so I lived in sales for a little over a year. And that journey was really interesting. But aside from just being interesting, I learned some really useful stuff as I went through that journey of leading the sales team through that change. Uh, stuff that was very different about th than my preconceived notions of what being in sales was like. 
Uh, things that I would consider kind of head slappers that if I had known before earlier in my career, it would have completely changed the way that I interacted with my sales teams uh, and with my customers. You know, like for instance, the notion of, you know, how unimportant my product actually is. Um, but it's, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. As we go throughout today, what I wanted to share with y'all was some lessons from my journey that hopefully will uh, inform and, and improve the conversation that you have with your sales team going forward. That's what I was wanting to share with you guys today. Does that, does that sound like a decent session for the next, you know, 30, 45 minutes? All right, good. Then let's hop to it. So I, I want to start off by uh, with, with that mentee tool that uh, Lolita and Sarah were talking about by doing a word association game. Before I get into what I've learned, let's let, let's think about what how you think of sales. I, I want you to think about all the reasons why working with sales won't work. And, and just think about if I were to say sales to you, what words do you associate with that? And what we're going to do is we're going to open up this uh, this menti poll here. I'll drag it over to my slide or to my uh, share here so you can see it. Uh, if you click that link that uh, that Sarah has put into the chat, uh, and Sarah, maybe you can post it again for those people that just joined, or you can go to menti.com and put in this code here. Uh, it'll give you a chance to dynamically build out this word cloud, and uh, we'll see what words we come up with that we associate with sales. I already have a few things here, so go ahead and drop your words in there. Let's see what we come up with collectively. Oh, there's my buddy, Mike Boudreau. Good to see you, Mike. Could be positive, could be negative. Both are fine. All right. Empathy, revenue, value, success, results, coin operated. That's a good one. Top line, ROI driven, Compensation culture, go for the quick win, trusted advisor. These are all really good words. Weather vane, that's an interesting one. I'm interested to hear what you mean by that. Customer focused, short term, frustrating. All right, so we're hearing, we're hearing words on kind of both sides of the spectrum here, both positive and negative. And that, that kind of does encompass our, uh, our, our, our relationship with sales. Let's, let's just pick a few off of here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you if you submitted something on here, or even if you didn't, Unmute and explain uh, what you mean. So, so when you say, uh, you know, coin operated or compensation driven, uh, and, and when you think about how you work with your sales team, tell me more about that. Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Feel free to unmute and chime in for a moment. Have a little discussion. You can pick any off this list. That's just the one that caught my eye. I'll you throw some out. Um, everybody believes in <clears throat> what's in it for me, the WIFM rule, and coin operated is the commissions that they get, and that's what's in it for them. Sure. Sure. So why should I worry about the bigger picture? You know, I'm worried about what's right in front of my face, what's right in front of my grill, if I'm a salesperson. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and sticking and to that, too, we have uh, needs to share information. It's like we're always pushing information out, but we don't get a lot back. And even though we try to ask, they're like, oh, no, it's fine, or it's not fine without the feedback to try to figure out what to do next. And we could really use that insight because I'm not out there talking to people. That's right. That's right. And sales is every day, at least if they're doing their job. Um, they certainly have you know, the, their finger on the pulse, of, especially the buyers, maybe not the entire market, but definitely the buyer. Um, okay. Revenue is a big one that, that people come up with, differentiators. This is all really good stuff. What about frustrating? A couple of you put that in there. Tell me more about that. 
What, what are your big frustrations when it comes to working with sales? Yeah, I think um, the folks on the line actually articulated it pretty well on some of the other points, but, you know, not getting the feedback, you know, I feel like I create all this collateral, do all this training, <clears throat> excuse me, sales perform kind of mediocre or subpar. I have no feedback as to why that's kind of why it's frustrating. Yeah, it is frustrating. Sometimes it's like that Mars Venus thing that I was talking about. Everybody's speaking different languages. Why? That's frustrating. All right. They also, uh, they see the problem or like why they're not making sales for like maybe this week and next week it's different. So the focus always shifts. Yeah. It's like the shiny object, you know, yeah. what's, what's going on this week? Squirrel, you know, and then we kind of stampede off in one direction and then we stampede off in another. Uh, that could be really frustrating. And then if you go to ask sales, why did we win or lose deals? You get some of the similar answers, right? We lost because the price was too high or the features were too poor, or we won because our relationship was awesome. Sometimes it's a little bit oversimplistic. Um, okay. Well, I would say that the the word cloud that y'all generated right here is pretty reflective of the what I've done with other groups when we've had this conversation. Um, these are the words that always come up. Uh, let me share with you some of the other words that we've heard as we go through this conversation about how we think about sales. Again, some positive, some negative. Some of these are the ones that showed up in your in your list. You know, things about you know revenue and and, and new business and and so on. That's on the positive side. On the negative side, oh, maybe sales is not super detail oriented. You ever heard that about sales? You used to hear that a lot, right? Oh, they, my sales guys, they're not detail oriented. You know, they're they're really focused on other things, not things I don't care about. Or they're they're loud. They're they're self serving. You know, they're coin operated. All those things we heard before. So there's kind of a whole gradient of words we think about this. And I've even repeated some of these tropes, you know, myself uh, until I got into sales. Because I, I think that I, I always encourage product people, if you haven't done sales at some point in your career, try it out. Try it out. Because, you know, this will be the first of a couple tweetable moments. Every job looks easy until you're the one who has to do it. And I think sales is uh, definitely falls into that bucket. I mean, you could, you could describe how easy any job is, right? Management, that's easy. You're just telling people what to do, right? Finance, you just play with spreadsheets all day long, right? Sales, you're just talking to people. Development, you're just typing, right? Every job looks easy until you're the one doing it, uh, but it's not easy. <clears throat> and one of the things that I discovered in my journey through sales, um, I, I was kind of surprised at the amount of detail orientation that it took because I always went into sales with this preconceived notion that they weren't detail oriented. And so one of the things I did in preparation for, uh, for this talk today was I went back and I did a breakdown of all the various activities that I had to pay attention to in my role in sales. And you can see they're all across the spectrum. You gotta pay attention to leads and opportunities and all the way down, there's all these different things you had to do. I looked at one week, I broke down one week as I looked back through all my activities on my calendar, on my email and so on. And guess what? You get a bunch of leads. So in a given week, maybe you get 20, 25 leads. Each one of those dots is one. And guess what? You got to have a bunch of conversations with those people, emails, qualification conversations, and so on. So it's not just one, it's many. Only a few of those turn into opportunities, but then you got a ton of emails and phone calls. So you might end up with like 100 activities there. Then you got a bunch of follow-up. You got some paperwork to go do. You got internal systems to deal with. That's not your job. You got some post-closing activities. You got some ongoing account management and even more. Every single dot on here might represent five minutes of work or it might represent an hour of work. But it just gives you some insight into the level of detail orientation required for sales. Um, it's actually a lot. It's a lot more than people think. And so I, I, just show, I just show everyone this to help us empathize with the world of sales. It does require good detail orientation if you want to be a good salesperson. 
it's just their detail orientation might be different than what product people think of when they think of details. Um, they're not so focused on the features of the product. They're focused on all the stuff that you see here. Kind of interesting. But I think sales kind of gets a bad rap. You know, a lot of people, they, they think that salespeople aren't, uh, aren't maybe, you know, super honest, you know, or ethical. And, you know, you see, you see all these tropes about salespeople. We actually have data on this. Um, uh, there was a report that was done a couple of years ago by Gallup. Uh, this is of the U.S. I don't have this for the world. I just have it for the U.S. Where they asked people in the U.S. to rate honesty and ethics by profession high, medium, or low, or high, or very high average and very low across a percentage. And so you can see here, nurses, they scored really highly. People think nurses are very highly ethical, right? That's pretty awesome. Right below them were teachers. Most people rated teachers as very high in terms of honesty and ethics. Uh, below teachers, police officers. Hmm. Be interesting to see how that one has changed over the last couple of years. I don't know if it would score exactly the same now. Below them, clergy, that's interesting. Below them, TV reporters, lawyers. And who do y'all think that is down there? If you're thinking sales, you're wrong. That's actually members of Congress. So sales actually scores below members of Congress in terms of perceived honesty and ethics by profession. In fact, the only thing that scored below salespeople on this report were lobbyists. And so I think it's kind of like sales has gotten a little bit of a bad rap. A lot of people don't necessarily think that that's a like super honest or ethical role. In fact, if you ask people to picture the prototypical salesperson that they have in their mind, and I think a lot of product managers would say this as well, it's kind of a picture like this, right? You ever seen Matilda, the movie? We got Danny DeVito here on the, uh, on the car lot. And he's kind of like shaking his hand. And he's thinking like, I think a lot of people think of sales as this guy. So, so sales has kind of been like beaten down. They're like the Rodney Dangerfield. They get no respect. Um, and it, it, for a lot of people, I think incorrectly, they view sales as a career choice that maybe isn't as aspirational as others. It's kind of like a sink or swim thing that you go do. Um, there's not like an MBA that I'm aware of in professional selling, you know, unlike, you know, finance or entrepreneurship, you know, you're not going to find like this big set of education around how to do sales. But it doesn't have to be this way. You know, if we look at sales through this lens, it informs the way the product team works with them. Um, but if you change the lens on how we view sales, then we can get better results. We can have better empathy and better conversations with them. Uh, and as I learned this, as I changed the lens through which I viewed sales within uh, the organizations that I've worked with, uh, it made a big difference. Uh, for instance, as I went into sales, we had some really good results in, uh, in just over a quarter and a half we landed two of the largest deals in company history over the past 10 years. Um, and a lot of that goes from how we had those interactions between the product team and the sales team. And so to inform a better conversation with sales, I want, to, I want you to think about where does your sales team live? What, what era does your sales team live in? This is kind of like one of the key takeaways we're going to do in today's session. Uh, this, uh, this chart is developed by a guy named Jeff Tool. Uh, from Prime Resource Group, we're using it with his permission. And before we can improve our relationship with sales, the first thing we have to do is we've got to identify where do they live today. Uh, and disclaimer here, I'm talking primarily about B2B sales. B2C, similar idea, slightly different uh, spin on it, but mostly B2B since most of you are focused on B2B. Um, but if you describe the three eras of selling, in era one, this is uh, the, the Danny DeVito 
salesperson that I just showed you. The role of the salesperson in era one is the persuader, right? Their mantra is always be closing, right? Coffee's for closers. You know, what do I have to do to get you into this product today? Uh, some people would describe the salesperson almost as a bully uh, in this model. Um, especially in enterprise level sales, B2B enterprise level sales, that turns off a lot of buyers nowadays. And so what we've seen is that most teams who are trying to do enterprise B2B type selling, um, they're starting to shift or they have shifted over to what we call era two. So era two is a big improvement over era one. Era two is where the salesperson is trying to become the problem solver, that trusted advisor that some of you uh, that called out earlier. Uh, and in era two, the tool they use is you know, questions and needs analysis, and they try to match up uh, the, the, the problems that the buyer perceives with the product that we offer so that we become the problem solver. Big improvement. However, here's what we need to learn about era two, which is where I suspect a lot of your sales teams are. Era two relies on an inherently flawed assumption. Even though it's better than era one, there's a big assumption here. The big assumption behind era two is that your buyer understands and knows the full scope of their own problems and is able to articulate their own problems back to the salesperson. And here's the, here's the thing, they don't. They don't know their own problems. Um, that's where era three starts to enter the picture. So think of era three as the not selling version of sales. Uh, in era three, uh, the sales person is trying to serve as a source of business advantage to the buyer by knowing their business better than they do and providing knowledge to them about problems they didn't even know they had um, so that they can uh, start asking questions and thinking about value that they could achieve that they didn't even perceive going into the conversation. Um, and so here's, here's a question, I, just a thought challenge I have for everybody. Think about your product, your solution, your service, whatever you have. Is it even possible that your buyer could know all of your features let alone the impact that all those features could have on their business? Probably not. And so what they're gonna need is some help understanding the problems that you solve that they didn't even know they had. Um, <clears throat> era two is more about, you've got problems, we're gonna solve them for you. Era three is, here's some problems you didn't even think of yet. So the choice that we have to think about here is if you're in era one or two, you can kind of stay in your lane as a product manager. You can sort of tend to your product. Or if you want to be, we would argue, more effective, then you should partner with your sales team to bring this era three type thinking to them. And the good news is the really good salespeople already think in this fashion. Um, if you ask the originator of this data, Jeff uh, Tool, how many or what percentage of salespeople would fall into which era, most salespeople are still era one. Some of the good salespeople have moved on to era two, but the best, about three to four percent of them, have moved on to era three. Now they don't think of it this way because they don't have the framework to think about it. They just do it. They're just already posing questions and challenging the buyer with questions that they, they didn't even think they knew they needed to have the answer to. So we're gonna show you some tools to bump you over to era three and start you down that journey because this is something that product management can help to inform in your, in your interaction with sales. And if you do this right, you're gonna act at least partially as the era three sales. Uh, because you're not just an expert on your product, right? You're an expert on the buyer. You know them. You know their problems if you follow what Pragmatic teaches. And you probably know the problems that you could solve for them better than even they do.
right? That's the key here. <clears throat> and so let, let me just pause there because I've been going for a second. Does this make sense, this idea of era one, two, and three? And uh, where would you put your sales team on, on here today? Feel free to type your responses in chat. I don't have a poll for this one, but I'm just curious if you, uh, yeah. you all right, era two. 1.5, we have a 1.5. 1. 1.5, split the awesome. difference. I like that. You would say That's two. That's fair. 2.5, all right. Five. All right, mostly two. You got new sales reps in era one and the rest in era two. Okay. Greg has some in two and three. Mike's in era one. All right. Two and that's pretty reflective. Yeah. It seems like most are like somewhere between, you know, one and two and a half, you know, trying to get to three. And so the question is like, how do we, how do we nudge them in that direction? Some of that is work that you can do um, to help push the team in that direction. Um, <clears throat> here's a, another sort of, key thought that you might think about as you move towards that era three, uh, another sort of tweetable moment. Uh, just like you don't have to be a product manager to do product management, you don't have to be a salesperson to do sales. Uh, and so some of the era three activities cross over, they have this mesh between the market research or Nahito that product management would do and the uh, questions that you might pose in an era three sale. And so there is a, really cool uh, merging of the support and research that you'll do for your product and the questions that a buyer needs to be asked or had to consider during the buying process. All right. So a lot of times I see product managers sort of grousing about, oh, I got to provide all this support to sales and, you know, I'm, I'm spending all my time with it. Well, maybe there's a different spin on that because if you're in era three, then all of a sudden the time you spend with buyers becomes more of a challenging conversation and that feeds into your research instead of just the hard sell. It's not about presentation. It's not about demo. It's about asking the right questions so that they uncover problems they didn't even know they had. Pretty cool. So Paul Thomas is commenting that somehow everyone with customer contact is doing sales. I'm I'm interpreting that as facetious, but if you want, feel free to elaborate, Thomas. Oh, oh it's more the, the, the positive picture. So it's positive. I, okay. Yeah. So in my opinion, let's say our technical service teams, they're usually that's really getting to the real problems of the customer. So they can help the customers to identify the issues and then they promote more or less the sales. And then sometimes the sales guys only need to send out a quote and uh, get the deal locked. But uh, uh, I think it's, uh, let's say, I see it as a, it takes time as a product manager. There's a lot of other things that is usually awaiting you in the office every morning, but uh, uh, when you get the sales contact and it's really like, uh, Sales itself, they won't evolve to be a, let's say, a level three sales in this chart. They need assistance from, from product management, from technical service or support. Otherwise, they will, maybe they will achieve two, but then they will drop down to one again because it's easier <laughs> uh, selling simply the thing that everybody is asking for. That's right. Yeah. So, so we can't just rely on the buyer knowing their own problems and asking us for our solution. For the, the, the key idea behind the third type of sale, era three, is that the buyer doesn't know their own problems. And so we've got to pose questions to them that light them up, that light bulb above their head to say, aha, there's some bigger thing going on here I didn't consider. And they start feeling extra pain and budget follows pain, right? Um, <clears throat> but if we don't ask the right question, that pain is never uncovered in their mind. So a good salesperson is already asking those questions. Uh, an era one salesperson is saying, here's my product, here's my features. What do I have to do to get you in this product today? 
you know, very different type of cell. And that's usually what you see here. The, the indication is that most buyers and by extension, also most sales teams, they think about what the future is going to look like. They think about the solution uh, more than they discuss the problem, right? So if you've been through pragmatic training, then you know that we're all about the market problem. And so <clears throat> era one and two, they're all about the solution, right? Let me share with you the, uh, the, the, the focus on our features, the solution, what the future is going to look like once you buy our product and so on. Whereas era three is going to be a lot more about the problem. You know, what problem are you trying to solve? You know, maybe that problem isn't exactly what you thought. In order to, you ultimately have to have both, but in order to kind of nudge us more towards the, the problem and the present, they've got to feel that pain in the present, right? Era three selling has uh, three things that we need to influence. Uh, and this is sort of the, the, the big framework or idea behind that era three mode of thinking. Uh, we call them decision, change, and value. These are three things that as a salesperson, you have to help the buyer uh, work their way through. Uh, on the decision, what you have to realize is that your customers, your buyers, they don't have a rational or thorough process for evaluating the decision you're asking them to make. Um, think about it this way. You deal with your product every single day. You understand it. They don't. And as a result, they are unqualified to understand what your solution can actually do for them. And further, because of that lack of understanding, they lack the rigor to make a good decision because their decision-making process is kind of flawed and incomplete. So we need to help guide them through the decision-making process by helping them understand, maybe not that our product is the answer, but what a good decision-making process looks like. Here are all the things that you need to consider. You might be thinking about a scope that's like this, but by the way, you also have problems over here and here that you need to think about that maybe you hadn't even considered. So that's the first thing that ERA3 is about. It's mapping out for them what a good decision process looks like by helping them understand those problems they didn't even know they had. The second big part is change. Change is hard and they don't have a motivation to change unless they realize that the pain of not changing is bigger than the pain of change. Customers cannot self-quantify their own pain, right? Because they don't know the full scope of their pain. Even when they try, they don't think of every vector. And so like take, for example, the business that Pragmatic is in, we do training for product teams. So if you were a buyer, so like, let's say that, um, let's say that Lolita is a buyer or Troy is one of my buyers and they come to me and they say, I've got a budget of 50,000 to train my team. And I say, as a salesperson, I say, okay, why? And they say, well, I want to get my team on the same page. So they're speaking the same language. And I might say, okay, fair enough. Tell me a little bit more about your uh, process for evaluating new opportunities. Or, or tell me about your road mapping process and how that's going. Or tell me about your agile and, and requirements process. And, and after maybe 15, 20 minutes of back and forth, I now have enough information to say, okay, based on what you've told me, we've seen similar organizations show a re reduction in preventable rework by 20%. And through win-loss analysis, they've improved their lost sales by 20%. <clears throat> and for you, if you were to do just those two things, that would be an improvement to your revenues and costs on the order of about $2 million for an organization of your size. Would it make sense to look into that a little bit further? And what we've just done is we've taken the blinders off, whereas they were just thinking about, I want my team to use a common framework and speak the same language. Now it's like, whoa, wait a second. You're solving other problems for me that I didn't even think about, like, you know, better win-loss leading to uh, recaptured revenue, you know, more efficient requirements process leading to reduction of preventable rework. All of a sudden, their eyes get really wide as they awaken to the scope 
of issues being bigger than what they thought. And as they start to feel and actualize that pain that they didn't know they had before, budget follows the pain, right? And so all of a sudden we just have to help them feel the pain that they didn't even know they had. So that's providing an, a, a change process, an illustration of the current pain. Finally, we have value. Uh, status quo always looks okay until it gets in the rearview mirror. Um, but until then, they're not qualified to assess your product's impact on them or its risk. Uh, and they also don't know how to measure it after you've installed it. And so sales isn't just about the selling of value. It's about building up a sustainable relationship with them and, and confirming that the value we promised them was actually delivered. And so what that means is that we have to give them metrics to actually help them quantify and, and show that we've delivered to them the value that we sold them in the beginning. And so that might mean educating them about their problems, but it also may show them how to measure that those problems have been solved. Um, that is what unlocks the door to future sales is when they can show that they actually got the value that they bought. So that's measuring value and giving them metrics for that. An Era 3 sales team, they do that sort of by default. So those three areas, uh, decision, change, and value are the keys to unlocking that Era 3 mode of thinking within both the product team, but also the sales team. Um, for those of you that are going to come to the uh, product development days uh, workshop that we're going to do here in the next couple of weeks, um, the key sort of plug into that from product management is pricing. So pricing connects with that value conversation that we just had, because all that work that we do on the product management side to build the product is about the creation of value. Pricing is what captures that value um, by setting a price that people are actually willing to pay. But the tricky thing about pricing is that when you're trying to ask people, what are they willing to pay for a product? You can't ask them directly, what are they willing to pay? I mean, you can, but you'll get really bad data. You know, I, I always use this uh, product as an example when I, when I go over this point. This is a little product I brought, bought from a company in uh, Europe. It's called an AeroFit. I'll hold it up so you can see it. Uh, looks like a little scuba device, but it's actually a breathing trainer. It's got these little valves on each side that control the air pressure required to breathe in and out. And it connects to your phone over an app. If I were to show this product to somebody and say, how much are you willing to pay for this? You could probably imagine what kind of answers I'm going to get if I ask that question directly, right? Pretty wrong-headed answers. People were going to say things like, oh, I wouldn't pay anything for that. I'll give you a dollar for that. If you go through the front door when asking that question, you get bad answers. And so when trying to figure out what are people willing to pay, you have to go through what I call the side door. And you got to figure out, you know, how do you establish the, the and capture the value without asking them directly because it doesn't work. So anyways, if you wanna learn more about that, come to the product development days, we'll get into that. We spend two half days on that session. All right, so next steps from this particular conversation about moving to that era three mode of thinking um, to kind of like wrap us up today. Uh, era three is not about presenting or demoing, right? It's about listening to them, but also posing interesting and insightful questions to them that uncover problems that they didn't even know they had. Right? Because remember, your buyer isn't qualified to assess their own problems because they don't work in your area. You're an expert in your area. They're not. Um, and so help them understand problems they didn't even consider. Follow-up is okay, as long as, as long as it's consistent and done with professionalism. And where the mantra of era one is always be closing, the mantra of era three is always be leaving. <clears throat> not everyone is a fit for our product. Right? In era one and two, if I see a lead, I think, wow, that lead, they need my product. Everyone needs my product. Of course they need my product. Why wouldn't they? 
In era three, we're saying we solve a specific set of problems and either you have those problems and we can help you with them and you see the value of solving those problems or you don't and I'm out because I want to spend time with people who have the problems I solve. And so it's always be leaving, not always be closing. Uh, if you want to make this happen within your organization, here's some things I would suggest. First of all, figure out what era your team lives in. Are they one, two or three? Or maybe they're one and a half or whatever. Maybe it's a gradient. Um, go join some sales calls and apply some of this era three type thinking to those sales calls. Um, the benefit to you is that, again, you'll get to empathize with what sales life is like, but you're also gonna get to do some market research there. Um, when you start posing questions to the buyers, you're gonna find out pretty quickly if the problems that you think they have resonate with them or not. And here's an idea, take 10 leads and work them on your own. I guarantee your sales team will be more than happy to let you take a couple of leads and run with them Right? They, will, they will not object to that, especially if they still get the uh, quota attainment for closing those deals. But here's an opportunity to flex some of those new muscles in era three and, uh, and try things out. Um, you'll be surprised how those relationships, uh, how positive they are and how well they work. And uh, I'll leave you with this thought. Sales doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? It doesn't have to be a dirty word. Sales is really an honorable profession when it's done honorably. Um, and so when you go forward into era three, think about how you could apply some of these lessons to, uh, to how you work with sales. All right, so that's where I wanted to close today. Just leave you with a couple of lessons over my, about my journey through sales. Uh, but I also wanted to leave some room for, uh, for Q&A as well and any questions you might have, a couple of those came up. Um, oh, Nicholas, you're asking like, what problem does this device solve? Well, for me, it solves a problem of athletic performance, weightlifting. I do weightlifting and so this is really, I'm really interested in having my lungs be strong for that. So that's a problem that solves for me. No, I just meant um, if I was, um the buyer uh, showing and uh, seeing that device, I would say, what is the value to me? So for example, if you say that this is uh, a lifesaver, it will value more to me than uh, if it's just a gadget that uh, it's a trend. You understand the point? Sure, sure. So these kind of questions. And by the way, I'm coming from sales. And as you say, there are a lot of different profiles in sales. I mean, some people they have a more aggressive approach. Uh, some others, they are more consultative. Um, in, in, my, in, our, in our case, we have a, a mixture of all these uh, people. But uh, in the beginning, and this is the essence of uh, this uh, uh, participation, is that uh, how you drive the sales to be aligned and follow the product strategy, which is dictated by the company. This is a big... Uh, point for me because uh, uh, as I have seen a lot of um, salespeople either by their own or driven by their customers needs or what the customers think that's their needs they try to expand or um, change the nature of the service or solution sure. uh, not in a, not in an organized way you understand what I mean not yeah. bringing back the information for analysis etc but uh, unfortunately, in our case, sometimes uh, already committed uh, to the customer. So this uh, makes much more different the situation. And if you deal with RFPs, if you deal with you know customers setting the spec for buying, um, uh, yes, uh, there's also some uh, uh, kind of profiles. Especially, I I'm working in the um, merchant maritime industry and. Uh, Due to consolidation, uh, these uh, kind of shipping companies, they gain uh, more and more power because of this fleet size. So uh, 
uh, we lose some time what we had uh, uh, up now that we have a one-to-one -one, uh, uh, meetings and uh, even the product manager could be there to assist or uh, derive some questions. Now uh, you, can, you can have, uh, you know, uh, anonymous RFPs and you have sure. to understand. What I would suggest is that not every person in every sales team is ready to move over to the right on this chart. Uh, in fact, there are some salespeople who may never move over to that side and that's okay. Um, so we, we got to recognize, first of all, that there are certain targets within the sales team that are really good to move over to the right-hand side. And there are others that maybe are going to be more in the middle or even on the left. Um, and so don't try to move everyone to the right-hand side because that probably won't work. Focus on the, the, the top salespeople because they're probably already doing stuff in era three on their own. They just might need a little bit of structure and guidance around it. Um, because to be really good at era three selling, then the salesperson has to have some knowledge, not just of the product and features, but they have to know about the business we're selling into. They have to know about the buyer. They have to know about the problems the buyer faces that maybe the buyer doesn't even know themselves. Um, so in some organizations, they call this the challenger sale or the idea that I'm going to challenge the buyer and pose, you know, you know, kind of challenging questions to them. Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? It doesn't have to be adversarial. Uh, it just means being insightful and asking questions that make the buyers lean back and cross their arms for a second and say, aha, you know what? I hadn't thought of that. That's really interesting. Let's have that conversation a little bit further. Um, that works really well with an executive level buyer, especially in B2B. You know, on the other hand, if you're selling a commodity type product uh, in B2C, then maybe not, maybe it'll look a little different. That's okay. Awesome. We've got a couple more minutes uh, in case there's any questions that anyone wants to add in the chat. Otherwise we could, um, we can wrap up as well. So I just want to make sure we give people some time to formulate their thoughts before going on to your next meeting of the day. Uh, may I kindly ask um, how you propose to collaborate between the, let's say the head of the product management team and uh, the commercial director who has the overall responsibility of the sales team? Sure. Well, you have to have a, uh, my wife's a psychologist and she always says, you can't, you can't change those who don't wanna change themselves. And so, you know, just like in counseling, you need somebody who's a willing partner sitting across the table from you. Um, so too, do you need that in your commercial partner on the sales side? If they don't want to change, if they're happy in the era that they're living in and they're getting good results, then maybe they don't need to change. Um, but on the other hand, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Right? And so maybe if you're not getting the results you want, we sit down and have a very peer-to-peer -peer level discussion, product executive to sales executive to say, hey, maybe there's a different way of thinking. And maybe it doesn't involve changing your entire team. Maybe it involves taking your top three salespeople and moving them towards that era three mode of thinking. Uh, and then the rest of the team can either follow or not, but that's a, that's a starting point. But that's a individual, that's a peer to peer executive level conversation to start off with. I would also add, um, and it, I, don't, I think this goes beyond the product and sales relationship, but sometimes it sounds so basic, but sometimes aligning on some common goals and common outcomes that you're both accountable for um, really moves the dial. When each functional team or leader has a set of metrics that they're measured on an annualized basis, but they don't converge on where they have joint accountability, that's typically a problem. And that's where you see the behaviors 
um, adapting towards the goals that they're being measured against. So if there's one or two that you feel that there's common, if it's product and sales, product and engineering, product and whoever, um, I think taking the time to have that and documenting that and, and, and communicating that with the broader teams starts to turn the dial on kind of the behavior and the outcome, which, you know, in the case of sales, I know the sales incentive is different, but how do you think about structuring things like that differently, just based on we're here to create a common outcome and what is that? And maybe start with those baby steps. All right, I think Paul, um, we had some great discussion, some great mentee engagement, um, a lot of pen and paper activity going on here. Um, just a quick wrap for those that are still with us. Uh, Paul, if you don't mind moving to the, the PDD slide. So one more plug is, you know, please join us um, coming up in a couple of weeks, October 27th through 30th, series of conference, two-day conference, two half days, and then uh, two days of uh, workshops. And there's a selection of six different workshops. Paul will be leading, as he had mentioned, the pricing workshop. So a little bit of today's conversation was a teaser to that. Um, and uh, that workshop will enable you to go a little bit deeper and click in on the discussion of value. Um, and how you as a product leader can help uh, enable our sales teams or the other functional teams to be successful uh, when we think about the notion of value. You'll hear from other great speakers if you've joined some of our executive webinars before, uh, they will be joining us as well in a couple of weeks. Registration is very still uh, very much open. And again, for those of you who attended today, you can use the code PRAGMATIC for an additional discount. Um, we really hope that as a product leader, um, we believe that this will be a great group and opportunity to share that inspiration with each other and apply, learn and apply some best practices. And then, then finally, the next uh, product chat that's coming up um, is on uh, October 27th. It's a topic of subscription businesses being led by Robbie Baxter. So a lot of good stuff happening in the product world across various communities. We hope you find the right channel for you and you're able to continue your um, always be learning journey as well uh, to better yourself as a product leader. Um, with that, I want to thank everyone for their participation and joining us today. Um, and we hope you got something out of it that you can take back with you. Um, thank you, everyone. Have a great rest of the day.